Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, campus pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, this week. And this past Sunday, Darren, you had a Sunday off. Isn't that great? Kind of. I mean, you were there. Yeah. You were there. But you you weren't teaching Sunday because we had a very special guest join us, uh, an old friend of the Tylers. Uh, Dana Gresh was joining us from Pennsylvania uh, to speak and uh, she's on tour right now with her with her uh, her ministry, True Girl, and uh, it's a it's a tween young tween girl ministry that she's had for what twenty years probably yeah, at least. Um, and how how long have you known Dana? I mean, I've known her forever. I didn't really so you know it is like when you know friends that um, you've just known for a while, but yeah, and you you know they're out there doing something, and then you kind of realize later, oh, actually, there's kind of a big deal. Like, there's a lot of people involved with that. Yeah. Uh, my first meeting, actually, I wish Donna Van Leer were here. The first time I became aware of Bob and Dana was Troy Van Leer, Donna's husband, in 1994, was Jars of Clay's day-to-day manager. What? Yeah. I did not know that. And Troy, oh my goodness, I think they were in Mississippi, but I might be wrong. Randy Lovelady was the manager. He was in Mississippi. So, but Troy was... The day-to-day guy, like when you send over, you know, sure. back then it was like, I mean, literally $500 and a bar mitzvah, we'd probably give you the show. Like <laughs> nobody wanted to book this band. But Troy was a day-to-day guy. And then like about a year in, I'd moved to Nashville and Troy disappeared to Springfield to start a radio station in Springfield, Missouri, a Christian radio station with a guy named Bob Gresh. Wow. And... So Troy was there for a while, and then uh, Bob, I guess the Christian radio station didn't work out or not, and uh, so Bob and Dana moved to State College, Pennsylvania, and uh, people don't know this, but so Dana, um, there's a, a, a Bible teacher named Nancy DeMoss, I don't even know if you know who that is, it probably is not, you weren't the target audience. It was like the Moody Bible Institute jet stream of theologically sound women, um, and so, but Nancy uh, and Dana originally started doing this for women itself, if I remember right. I might be remembering this history wrong. So anyway, that's right. I'd first encountered them like 25 years ago. And then Dana washed up on the shores of, uh, of Nancy DeMoss. And they, and actually she and Nancy still do stuff together. But if I remember right, one of the first things they did was a thing called Lies Women Believe. And... Um, and then that became ultimately True Girl, like which would be moms and daughters uh, together. Yes. And then they end up in Pennsylvania, and they have got like uh, an alpaca llama. They're like the Baldries of State College, <laughs> Pennsylvania. Robin and uh, Matt Baldry at our church have got like the llamas. Uh, but anyway, so they do that in Pennsylvania, and then she travels the country with this uh, the True Girl thing. And tons of people have been to these True Girl events. Yeah. I just was not one of them. No, I mean, if you maybe your daughters perhaps at one time. No, they weren't either. I don't remember everyone coming to Nashville, though, now that I think about it. Yeah. But anyway, but lots of, I was, I was actually genuinely surprised. A lot of young women, your daughter-in-law included, 20-some yeah. years old now, uh, was at one of those when she was younger. Yeah. 
Yeah, and so Dana came through and uh, and spoke on Sunday, and it was really good. It was um, insightful. And she spoke from Exodus chapters one and two, but the court thought was um, very timely, and uh, was talking about raising a child of faith in a post-Christian world, yeah. and that's kind of a loaded title. Because it's also um, assuming or recognizing or calling out the fact that we very well may be in a post-Christian world at this point. Yeah, I think that... Uh, <laughs> Post-Christian society. Yeah, and I, I think that at this point, um, the, the whatever culture wars that Jerry Falwell declared in the 80s, uh, it's over. Yeah. Like, we're done. As far as like the culture itself right now, the, the the people who control the keys to the kingdom of culture, big tech, um, media, politicians, um, they are the ones that are the gatekeepers of information, of ideology, of culture, and they uh, are 100% in charge of a narrative. And it doesn't even matter that the vast majority of people do or do not believe what these guys are saying. It's what the it's literally what is allowed to be said. And if you say anything differently, you get censored from it. So they're controlling not only what the narrative is, but they're also controlling what the narrative is not. Um, as of today, still Babylon B is actually not. I don't think they're back on Twitter yet. No, they're still banned. Yeah. Um, and if I remember right, they were banned for their uh, satire of uh, the swimmer. What was her name? Uh, his name? Lily? What, Lila? Liam. Like, uh, was it? Leah. The, was something like uh, Times Man of the Year or something like right. that on the cover of right. it? Was like, but that, that tweet was considered offensive, and Twitter was holding them hostage and saying, if you don't um, – if you don't take that tweet down, you are banned. And and congrats to the people of Babylon B for holding the holding the line and saying we're not going to bow to this um, just to you know get back online. So so yeah, the post Christian world is here. And so the question Dana asked, and it's not just Dana; it's every Christian parent right now. If you're not asking it, you better be asking it is how do you raise a kid and disciple a kid inside of a world that is actively, proactively trying to undo and disciple your child in the exact opposite direction of not just the way that you would want to raise your child, but literally in the opposite direction of just reality itself. It's a full-on attack. We are... We are we are we're at we're, we're having culture war. There's no doubt about it, and, and it, it feels like we're kind of repeating ourselves maybe over the past couple of years. But it's accelerated. It, we started this podcast almost two years ago. Yeah, almost a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. right in the thick of pandemic, and we were we were talking about things we were seeing in, in big tech and media and news. Um, we've been kind of addressing some of these things. But in terms of the culture war, it feels like it's it's sped up, like there's an acceleration that has happened. And I'm not sure what the catalyst for that would be other than it's just kind of a critical mass now mm-hmm. in this woke ideology. Yeah. Um, but there's it's it's come to our front door and specifically to our kids um, through their screens, 
through Netflix, through YouTube, through corporations, through, you know, bills that are being passed mm-hmm. or not passed, um, directly affecting what's being taught in elementary school. Like it's getting younger and younger and younger. Marketing is getting younger and younger. When we started talking a couple of years ago, you know, we we got a little bit of blowback. It wasn't like people were angry, but there were definitely people who thought you and I were too political or being too controversial or I don't, whatever the twos were. Um, and I'm, I'm like at this point going, okay, two years in, can we finally, can we acknowledge that this is not about politics? This is about principle, right? This is, yeah. this is about courage. This is about, can we say what is true? And if we don't say what is true just to not offend anybody, that's, that's what cowards do. That's not, that's not courage. And I think for me, like I'm kind of catching up to the idea that saying that a man can't be a woman, that a, a man can't have a baby, that's actually not a controversial statement. But I mean, so it, apparently it is. But I'm still like catching up to the fact that that's controversial. A man cannot menstruate. Like that's not a controversial idea. But. Because, and again, it's not that this this vast amount of, I don't think a vast amount of people in the world believe this, but the ones that have the loudest voices and the most money and the deepest pockets do believe this. And so they are literally ramming this ideology through uh, with a take no prisoners, damn the torpedoes, we're going down with, we're, we're pushing this through narrative. And if, if, as a church, if we can't say truth in the middle of that, then what are we doing? Let's go home and get real jobs. Yeah, it's getting younger and younger and younger. So, like, if you ask that same question to, um, you know, a, a, a college student versus a high school student versus a, a middle school student and then an elementary school student, the, the amount of pause that they, that they have for thinking through the question is getting longer, the younger. Yeah. So I saw a man on the street, little episode yesterday of someone going around a college campus and asking the simple question, you know, what is a woman? <laughs> this was 10 months ago. Wow. And it was on a college college campus. And the amount of, of pause and reflection uh, to answer the question was, that in and of itself was astounding. And then the, the, the gentleman asked, um, this was a PragerU piece. Mm-hmm. Um, the gentleman asked, you know, can can then a woman have testicular cancer? And this this young lady said, well, yes, if that's what she believes. And it was just like, it, it's just hard to reconcile the, the thought pattern and the, the mental gymnastics that people are having to go through um, to, to get to some sort of end result that makes sense. There's a, a, a Bible verse, um, it's in Thessalonians, it's Second uh, Thessalonians 2, verse 11, uh, and it says that for this reason, God will send them a delusion so that they will believe the lie. Yeah. And uh, is this the actual literal fulfillment of that? Uh, yeah, it sure feels like it, because to say that a man can have or a woman can have testicular cancer. I don't know what else to call that, but a delusion. Mm-hmm. Like it's totally delusion. And Paul says that the reason, so he says, verse 11, for this reason, 
uh, got some, by the way, not just delusion, a powerful delusion, Second Thessalonians 2. It's actually in the context of uh, the lawless one, Antichrist, coming into the world in place of Christ. Um, verse 9, the, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders and serve the lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion and they will believe the lie so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. And there's a little bit of a, you know, in the mercy mercy of God, he allows us to... um, to test the boundaries, to, you know, he allows us to make decisions. and But there's a point in the, I will not have you be Lord over me, that he says, okay, and this is what it's like to not have me be the Lord over you. And the lawless one coming, like the absolute, and what is it, the lawless one, meaning that there are, there's no right and wrong. That's what it means to be lawless, you know, defund the police take away right and wrong. There is no such thing as that. There's no such thing as male and female. Right. Powerful delusions are coming, are here. And what Dana was doing um, and talking about that's so important for us is that, uh, and, I, and I, I talk about it on one hand, like I don't want us to live in fear because it's, it's clearly not biblical. It's clearly not how God wants us because we are. We have the keys to the kingdom. We have authority over the enemy. And at the same time, to be quite aware that there is a delusion that is in people of power and authority that are now trying to infiltrate our children. There was a piece by Abigail Schreier. I don't know if you follow her on uh, Substack. Um, no. But I'm aware of her. One of the many journalists that have been canceled that yeah. are, you know, and Abigail, uh, but, but this piece was about the activist teachers recruiting kids. Um, wow. Uh, I was going to read, this is from actually just a few months back, but so this was, uh, this was California workshops, teachers on how, literally coaching teachers on how to recruit kids into LGBT uh, lifestyle and choices. Uh, part of the piece, several of the workshops advised teachers on the creation of middle school LGBTQ clubs, commonly known as Gay Straight Alliance Clubs, or GSA. One workshop called Queering in the Middle focused on what practices have worked for successful middle school GSAs and children at this age developmentally. By the way, don't miss middle school, sixth grade, seventh grade. But what makes for a successful uh, middle school club? What to do about those muddlesome parents like me who don't want their middle schoolers participating in such a club? What if the parents ask a club leader point blank, is their child is a member? And this is a quote. Because we are not official, we have no club rosters. We keep no records, the Buena Vista middle school teacher club leader said. Uh, now, by the way, a club, a teacher cannot lead a Christian club in a school. If a Christian club is on campus in a school, it has to be student-led. That's, That's where right. first priority was born out of. Yeah. But in a world that is celebrating wickedness, a teacher can do that and can lead that. And she goes on to say, in fact, sometimes we don't really want to keep records because if parents get upset, their kids are coming in. We're like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they came. 
you know, we never want a kid to get in trouble for attending if their parents are upset. Wow. If my sixth <laughs> grader is attending it, and I've got teachers actively lying to me. Uh, and look, I'm not a... For, uh, it's almost like with the idea of understanding the times uh, is is more important than I can remember. I've I've got four kids. Three of them were raised in public schools, and there is a distinct difference in just the last few years. And we're talking Williamson County schools, by the way, which are full of godly teachers who love the Lord. Donna Henderson, Tara Loba is a principal. Uh, Joanne Swain. Like, I mean, the t- there's a list of teachers who Harrison's. love Jesus. Harrison, yeah, Harrison's. They're all over the place, and because Williamson County Schools, one of the top-rated schools in the entire country, has been so desperate with growth to hire, they're hiring 25, 26-year-old young teachers coming straight out of woke universities with their art degrees in a very. And this has literally just happened. Uh, I can't think of a better time for parents who who can and who have the option. There's no shame on parents who can't afford this or don't have the time or the bandwidth. But, man, there's never been a better time for homeschool alliances, for private Christian school educations. Because what I learned was I would spend a few hours with my kids a week, and then I'm sending them into a school where eight hours a day somebody is indoctrinating them with something that may or may not fit with the worldview that we have, but more importantly, that may not be true. We, for the first time, pulled our kid out and went into a Christian school. I can't afford that. I mean, I have heck if I have to, but I was like, if I have to drive Uber, I don't know what I'm going to do, but we're right. going to do anything right now than to get them out of an environment where somebody in there is going to be actively, proactively recruiting my kids for ideologies. Now, Look, I get it. If you're listening to this and you get your kids in there, uh, I I am a huge fan of the idea of we want our kids in the schools. We want them to be the Christians in these non-Christian places. I totally understand all of that. And the pragmatic in me is saying that I don't know that this is the right era for that. That's This is a decision between you and Jesus. It's certainly a decision between you and the Holy Spirit. And, you know, if, if your kids are in public school, you're not going to hear any judgment or any shame out of me. Uh, I am saying, on the other hand, that if you're making that decision because you think the school is the way that it was five years ago, at least make the decision based on the reality and not on what it used to be. Yeah, that's really good. I keep going back to the uh, to Yuri Bezmenov's ideological subversion when he defected from the KJB in uh, the 70s. And... Um, and so in the 1980s, he started teaching what he learned and what was happening in the KJB as, a, uh, as an infiltration into Western society and culture. So this idea of um, ideological subversion has four stages, okay? Demoralization, destabilization, crisis, and normalization. And to give it a little more definition, so demoralization— feels like we're on we're on an like we've gone through these four stages over the past 40 years and we're about to enter into a new one because the demoralization is educate an entire generation in marxist ideology mm. that's a 15 to 20 year plan this is what the russians were doing perhaps are doing um they were playing the long game to take over to weaken a culture 
with demoralization. Educate an entire generation in Marxist ideology. We can probably give 100 examples of that playing out in our universities over the past two decades. Next stage is destabilization, uh, economics, foreign relations, defense systems, things getting stretched, pushed um, on on all sides of, of that, which we can point to those examples happening right now. <laughs> um, just go fill up your gas tank. Uh, crisis. So there, there needs to be a crisis of some sort, a violent change in power or structure or in the economy that's happened over the past couple of years. And then normalization, which is kind of what I, I fear for our, our kids over the next several years. Um, the, the normalization of these ideologies. Yeah, It's a period of stability um, where th- all the all the chaos and the crazy kind of calms down, but it's normalized. It's accepted. Um, it's it's you're opposed if you don't walk in line with these ideas until it then reaches the next cycle and does it all over again. Feels like we're in the middle of that. Yeah. And to think about it, like from the perspective of what he's saying, so this is a KGB former agent defector. Um, and by the way, this has been confirmed by multiple different defectors. So this is like, you know, this is the one video that's floated around a lot. But this is uh, confessions of an economic hitman. Like there, there's definitely lots of proof for this that that most of the spy work that you see from enemies out there, it's not the Austin Powers, right? Right? Grove vive like it's <laughs> spy work. It's not James Bond. It's disinformation. Like eighty five percent of their work is in like infiltrating a culture to try to tear it down from the inside. Parenthetically, that's also Satan's plan. Like yes. divide and destroy from inside. And like when we find ourselves in a place right now in, in this world, if you if you have been from the Soviet side playing this long game. And by the way, they're not alone in this. China is absolutely the same. I mean, a thousand percent China. The idea that they can invade us without firing a shot. <laughs> exactly. But if, if literally right now, the vast majority of, especially Ivy League universities, are staffed almost a hundred percent by not just Democrat, but by hard left progressive ideologues. Parents are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to send their kids to a university where they're not taught information. They're taught what to think, not how to think, but what to think. And that didn't start last year. It didn't start last month. It started decades ago to the point where we are now. And I, and I think that that as far as the naivete in our world, as far as parents go, if you're listening to this, um, we'll, we'll, we're going to talk a little practical at the end here, so don't let me forget. But it has to start with at least admitting and acknowledging that there are people with an ideology that they think is right, and they want to recruit and evangelize your child to accept their ideology. The The, the big thing this past week was was Disney. Yeah. Like, no, I, I, look, I don't think anybody, well, anybody that was remotely paying attention would be surprised. And yet, at the same time, I was a guy paying attention, 
And I was still like, wait, what? They were actively saying out loud? Um, a Disney executive, uh, this is from New York Post, but a Disney executive producer admitted she has been pushing a, quote, not at all secret gay agenda for children's animation, even as uh, DeSantis signed the don't say, quote, unquote, don't say gay law this week. I hate it when they call it that because that is not what that law says. That's right. It absolutely infuriates me. But during a staff meeting about the law, which bars Florida teachers from discussing topics like sexual orientation or gender identity with students unless they're in the fourth grade or higher, in my mind, I'm like, that isn't going far enough. Right. Like, if you're a third grade or a kindergarten teacher and you want to talk about gender identity and sexual orientation with children, you not only shouldn't be a teacher, you should be 100 yards banned from a school. Like, Mm -hmm. we have rules and laws for people that are doing that. But... uh, she says this in uh, in my this is a quote in my little pocket of proud family Disney TVA the showrunners were super welcoming to my not at all secret gay agenda this is from a, a, a Raveno and this is a leaked video obtained by Christopher Rufo maybe it was that way in the past but I guess something must have happened and then like all that momentum that I felt so you're saying this like it just ramped up that sense that I don't have to be afraid to have these two characters kiss in the background like that's all gone now. That's happening right now. Disney Plus, you know, that people are paying $5 a month for to indoctrinate your children. Oh, man, now I'm spun up. Um, So Disney, I don't know if you knew this, but Disney owns Hulu now. I did not know that. And so here's where I'm frustrated. Gummit. So the past year, they kind of quietly purchased Hulu. They've always owned ESPN. And so if you if you have a Hulu package and and pay for the live TV portion, it comes it now is it's part of the Hulu package that you cannot opt out of. Meaning you have Hulu, Disney Plus, and ESPN Plus is all bundled and you cannot remove them. That is by default now the full Hulu package. So when this started kind of ramping up over the past couple of weeks, I'm like, all right, I'm out. Like, Disney, you're gone. Well, then I started researching this and realizing I can't. I can't jettison Disney Plus because it's all in one package now, and they own Hulu as well. <laughs> so, wow. and, and it's it's been kind of very subversive. Even in that, just the merging of these companies um, makes it impossible to even be as a la carte to the content as maybe it was previously sold to us. Wow. Um, that's pretty frustrating. And so the Disney executive, Carrie Burke, um, she she's she's the one that kind of fired off after Ravenel shared what she shared. She's the mother of a transgender and a pansexual child, which that has child. its own questions. Um, says that she wants at least half of all future characters to be LGBTQIA or racial minorities. Moving forward, I mean, if you, baby, if you let you know uh, Disney Plus or the iPad or whatever with Disney Plus on, babysit your kids, you know, if because you, you need, you know, you need twenty minutes of sanity, which I get it. Yes. Um, and sometimes you just hand them the, the the remote or put on a show on the TV, and you know you're doing dishes or laundry or just catching your breath, checking your emails, whatever it might be. Moms and dads, been there, done that. 
just know that they are coming for you, yeah. <laughs> for your kids, with the programming all the way down to the bottom. Yeah. Disney kids. It's it's vexing, right? Because we're sitting here recording on an Apple computer. I'm looking at an Apple iPad, my Apple iPhone. We're going to distribute this to Apple iTunes. And Apple quietly, not so quietly, a political article this week, has been spending the last year mobilizing its vast resources to lobby against LGBTQ legislation proliferating across the country. Now, by the way, that sentence right there, if you read media and you read it critically, that's right. That's yeah. a sentence. Anti-LGBTQ legislation proliferating across the country. They're saying that like that's a fact. Mm-hmm. And that is bull crap. That is an inaccurate statement. There is not a proliferation of anti LGBTQ. There is a proliferation of parents saying, I don't want a kindergartner telling my son that he might be a girl. I don't want that coming up with them. Like, I want to go back to the, hey, don't touch me there. That's my no-no square. Like, I, that that stuff, I'm okay with. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about sexual. Did you guys do that, the no-no square? I don't remember you that don't remember phrase. That? Hey, don't touch me there. That's my no-no square. I'm like, that was, that was, uh, did you do that, Micah, when you were going? Yes, Micah knows. Uh, yeah, so we want, to t- I mean, we want to teach him about what it means to be sexually abused, like, Th- th- that's an important conversation to, to infiltrate. Now, now, 100%, I'm not sure that that's what I want a teacher talking to him about. Right. But I sure as hell don't want my children being taught that you can be a boy if you want to be. I have no desire for that because, because it's factually inaccurate. Mm-hmm. And it is straight from the pit of hell. And so the fact that this phone that I just spent, you know, too much money on, the equipment that we use is being used. And and, and this is the, when I get to the practicality of it, like this is what I wonder as in the days of Lot is what the Bible tells us. Uh, It's going to be like that in the days of Lot. And I think that's in Luke chapter 17. Yeah, yeah. 17, 28 through 37. Likewise, also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. Yeah. Happening right now. Yeah. In fact, if you're in Williamson County, all of those things are happening. They bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed, like we are in a time right now where we are raising our children in Sodom and Gomorrah. We are raising our children in Babylon. You you know, you think back on it, like I actually used to think that raising our children in Babylon was more like you're raising them like in Mad Max beyond Thunderdome, you know, like Tina Turner running around on a chariot and (laughs) stabbing people and it's terrifying. But that's not what, it it was LA. These were the, top cultural influential places of their times. And both Babylon and both Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, sexual immorality, gender identity, that was all happening in those cities. And so when you look at Lot and you even see how his life turned out, you can see it was not easy raising a kid in Sodom and Gomorrah. He ended up losing his wife over it. And so on the one hand, 
I feel the frustration of Lot. I feel like, is that me? Am I with my kids? Like what I've been trying to do and, and I've been battling. I'm, I'm telling them one thing, but I got a culture telling them 100% something different. But I'm reminded of what Peter said about Lot, which was that he was a uh, righteous man, Second Peter 2, verse 7. And if he rescued, listen to this, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the uh, depraved conduct of the lawless, let me go to the next chapter on this, uh, saying that, that, look, Lot, if you just read Genesis, you're thinking, man, that guy really uh, was a bonehead and he really did a good job. But I have a whole lot more empathy for him now, but, but him saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you rescued Lot, a righteous man, verse 7, who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, which isn't that us, like I'm distressed by that. For that, listen, that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. And if this is so, listen, and parents, moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, verse 9, and if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment for the day of judgment. This is especially True for those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. There, he's saying that for us who are in Christ, he knows how to hold and to rescue us. Yeah. It, and it, uh, and, it, and I'm, I'm encouraged because Lot's behavior wasn't so great when you read through the story. He, he blew it. He messed this up. He, but there was a heart in him, which is what I think a lot of us feel like. I'm trying so hard. My heart, I really do want to do this right. And I, but I blew it here and I blew it there and I should have never let my kid watch this. I should have never done that and here all the shouldas. But in Christ, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He knows how to rescue us and he knows how to rescue our children. And so there's this delicate dance of practicality saying, uh, do your best. You know, you're right. I remember the long drives to Minnesota back in the olden days, right? The 1900s, <laughs> uh, the early 2000s. Like we would, uh, you know, back then you had to throw up like the little video screens on the back of the seat, throw a DVD player, and the kids would fight over which, you know. But but we're strapping them into a chair, so you wanted to watch it without screaming for 12 hours to Minneapolis. We would do that. We'd put them in there, and you know, occasionally Shannon would be like, "Okay." No screen time for the next hour. And I'd be like, Shannon, shut up. <laughs> that, that, that's a terrible idea. I want, I want them to be quiet for the next 12 hours because immediately when the TVs go off, you know, they start screaming again. I get it. It's there. Paul, or Peter's talking here about Lot. He was distressed. He understood it was not easy raising daughters in a city that was actively, proactively going against them. But God called Lot righteous. He calls us righteous. And so in all practicality, you know, somehow we have to hold on to that idea that God knows how to rescue them. He knows how to rescue us. Thank goodness. I mean, there really, it really is, um, it's a, it's kind of a clarion call to us as parents and grandparents, uh, that we, that we stay alert. Like we need to go on the offensive um, and be aware. I mean, Peter talks about this in First Peter 5, uh, 5, 8. Just be alert, stay sober, or have a sound mind, and realizing that our enemy, 
the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Um, and so there's this vigilance that we kind of have to have, and it's nonstop. And I think that's maybe part of the exhaustion maybe everyone feels is this, this constant vigilance, this constant awareness of what's my kid listening to, who are they hanging out with, what are they watching. Um, but just like you explained, like we, we have hope. We have hope, and we have the Spirit leading us in our families. The fact of the matter is, there is there's now there's not a time more than ever than right now to be vigilant and alert for your kids, and actively participating in discipling your kids. Yeah, the thing that Conduit has done, and, and Mo, uh, this has been under his purview, but Joey Prophet, our kidmen. Uh, this next generation that's coming, the littles and the kids right now are called the alpha generation. I don't, I don't know who makes up these names. I don't know if they have like a name meeting where they decide. But anyway, they're calling them alpha, alpha. So if that sticks or not, I don't know. But once a month on a Friday night, Joey and a team of conduit staff are leading alpha night. And it is a discipleship night with parents and kids together. It's literally equipping parents to disciple their own children. Because I think that for the most part, parents would say, I actually do, I want to do this. I just don't know what to do. Sure. I don't feel qualified. I don't know the answer to these questions. And I mean, I know we have a whole like a squadron of homeschool parents that would that, that would not say that at all. But even those that are in that, they still are looking for just practical ideas. They're just looking to know they're not alone yeah. in this. And so Alpha Knight, if you're in the conduit area, I mean, I hope that at some point we can actually uh, I don't know, franchise this like a Taco Bell, I mean like that, but like proliferate this for other churches around the country because parents everywhere uh, need somebody, something to get together and somebody to rally the troops to help disciple their children together um, because Joey gets them for an hour on a Sunday. Um, and, and by the way, our kid ministry people, uh, the littles too, with Audrey like and Peyton, like our littles, the word of God is being poured into them. And they are leaving that afternoon, and whatever devices they're turning on are immediately beginning to attack the worldview of the gospel in there. So, um, you know, look, I, I, the, we joke about it. There is the option of us all becoming Amish and churning our own butter and moving into the farm. Like that, that is an option, and— it's feeling less and less funny. <laughs> Moving closer and closer. Yeah. Like, I don't even know how to churn butter, but I feel like I can oh, figure wow. it out if you just stir it long enough, I guess. But uh, it feels less and less because it is um, a culture that is reaching out to disciple our kids. Uh, I mean, I remember, what, golly, when I was young, it was like they waited till college before they started attacking your faith. Sure. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah. I remember, this has been years ago now, Poplar Grove is a school here in Williamson County. It's a Franklin school, and a young man had come in to, uh, and, and he told us that his teacher told him he, they were talking about the myth of Noah's Ark. Fifth grade. The myth of Noah's Ark. So that's not a description. That's an accusation against it. They didn't wait till that young man got to college. They hit him in fifth grade with it. And of course, now I'm looking back, going, "That's the easy stuff." Like, we're getting, we're way past the myth of Noah's Mark, and we're well into the 
uh, which is ironic, as in the days of Noah, so the fact that she's calling out the myth, we're well into the era now of gender fluidity and sexuality and choosing your own way. Uh, it's right in front of us right now. Yeah, and so one of the things we do in Alpha 9 is we just try to give uh, really practical ideas for parents um, to sp- spend time with their kids, how to have conversations with their kids. Um, it, it Very simple ideas such as, man, protect the dinner table. Yeah. Um, find, find time throughout the week. Make it a habit. Make it consistent to where you and your kids sit around the dinner table uh, and eat a meal together and have conversation asking them how their day went without any devices on the table. That includes you, mom and dad, um, putting your device away, um, not giving them iPads to, to watch while they're eating food, but actually have conversation with other humans in the room. <laughs> it's surprisingly effective. Um, and just in, in, in helping and reminding parents to limit screen time. You know, the number one channel, the, the number one watched YouTube channel is uh, Coco Lemon. Did you know that? Do you know who the Coco Lemon is? Not Coco only... Melon. See, I'm even saying it wrong. So you said Coco Lemon. Isn't that, a, isn't that pants? <laughs> Are those like yoga pants, Coco Lemon? <laughs> I don't know. It's like the, got it it's all the, mixed up. The Lululemon pour. It's the That's poor right. man's Lululemon is right. the Coco Lemon. <laughs> what is Coco? It sounds like a cereal. Coco Puffs? Coco Melon is... Uh, Coco Melon Nursery Rhymes. Yeah, it's joking? massive. 132 million subscribers. Um, 125 billion video views. And um, and so and, and I don't I'm not familiar with the content, but I know all the kids are listening to it and watching it because it's very entertaining and their nursery rhymes and it's fun. It's it's not necessarily about the content, but it's the fact of the matter is the, the these kids kids know that they can go to the device and find something that they enjoy very, very quickly. Uh And what can spawn out of that is, you know, Lord knows what. Uh, But just, again, reminding parents to to be alert, to be be vigilant, to have these conversations. And and, uh, and, and what can we do to be on the offense? How can we provide content? How can Christians provide content uh, that is discipleship, that is Christ-filled, uh, that is of Christian values. Yeah. How can we be a part of that solution? Yeah, because I'm wondering in my olden age if the idea of the culture war is maybe the wrong metaphor, because if it is, the war is over. We're done. Mm. Like we lost. But if if it's different, if it's not about a war against a current culture, but actually replacing it with a culture that is healthy, and and I, by the way, I don't even know if that's possible because of Romans one and the, and the darkness of humanity. The nihilist in me continues to think sure. that there's always you know this will just cycle over and over again because eventually, Romans one without Jesus, you end up back in the same place of debauchery and depravity and, and destruction. But what we can do is, and this is my thought of like, if we're, you know, if Jesus is going to tarry, what possible way could we now at least, like never before, we have access to channels of distribution for content, for creativity that we've never had before. You used to have to have a record label and they'd have to spend a bunch of money. And they, you know, if you were a Christian, especially, you know, you were, they channeled you right into the Christian channels. And so, we were creating Christian content for Christian people 
on Christian radio. And that still happens and it still exists. And by the way, still valuable because music still matters. But creating that kind of content out into uh, television, into video, into media. And I love what Andy Irwin has done and the Irwin brothers. Like I know they for sure. Uh, guys like R.J. Moeller creating thought-provoking, Marshall Lee, some of our own guys, you know, Mike Akel. Am I saying this right now? Akel. Akel. Um, I really wanted it to be Akel. Akel. Look, we have guys in our church, men and women, who are creating content, and we just need more of that. And it costs money, and it's that part's it's hard and it's complicated. But creating content so that the, the cocoa melon, which I'm looking at this right now going, thank God this was not around when I was a kid. This feels like the kind of thing that would have driven a parent to madness. Oh, I'm sure. Right? Um, but these channels exist, and as long as they're not, you know, until they, uh, obviously, which they very well could be, you know, censoring this kind of stuff eventually. But for now, these doors are still open for us to create in this day and age, you know, how do, how do you live in Babylon? How do you live in Sodom and Gomorrah? And the answer is, is you live like Jesus. Um, and then when the time comes, if the time comes, you know, there's a whole picture, by the way, of that, of like, of uh, as in the days of Lot, there there is a coming a time when God is going to reset and 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 destroy this and restart the whole thing. And if if we're close to that, what we know is that Second uh, Peter, he's going to rescue us. He can rescue righteous people, and he I love it that he included Lot as a righteous person because it sets the bar pretty low. Because it's not about Lot's work; it was about God's faithfulness to Lot. Yeah, and Dana did a great job of of talking about all of these things. She used the story of Moses, of course. And one of the things that she kind of landed on was just to have courage, um, the courage of, of Moses's mother and father, um, the courage of, of his brothers and sisters, um, and the courage of Moses, um, but courage to push through um, a society that is unbelieving, you know, because in Moses's day, they were literally killing all the males, yeah. all the male babies. I mean, that's how bad it got. Lord, mm-hmm. help us to never go back to that very directly. Now, that's still happening in terms of abortion in yep. this country. Oklahoma has made some strides this week to push back against that Yeah, with their new bill outlawing abortion. Is it, by the way, so I, I've, not, I've not seen that yet. Is it outlawing abortion outright or just after a certain outright? Wow. It's the only one in the country. And uh, if... And if they do the procedure, um, they could face prison time. Um, it's a very, very stringent bill. Um, to, it's All that's left is for it to be signed by the governor at this point. So they're literally making – so NPR, Oklahoma House gave final legislative approval Tuesday to a bill that would make performing an abortion a felony – Punishable up to 10 years in prison. This is by far the – because every other state, Mississippi, Texas, Texas like, yeah. they're putting it at like the, the heart – they're calling it the heartbeat laws in right. those places once there's a heartbeat. But these guys are saying period. Yeah. yeah this is interesting. What seems to be happening, by the way, is that um, legislators in states are passing these laws now because for the first time in history, we have a Supreme Court that might actually – acknowledged the state's right to pass this law. Like for the first time in 50 years, this law has a possibility of actually holding up in the Supreme Court. Yeah. And doesn't that Mississippi version of this get reviewed by the Supreme Court in a couple of months? I was reading a little bit about that this morning. Yeah. Mississippi's one of them that's up for for review. Yeah. And that that could be the kind of the watershed moment to, yeah. to move some of this. Yeah. Because the question right now with the Supreme Court is uh, how much does a previous ruling 
bear. So that would be the progressives, of course, the ones that say that it's a living constitution, it can change. Uh, What they really say is it can change until we make the change and then you can't change our change. Uh, the, you know, the originalists say that whatever the original is is what it was meant to be, uh, and that's what we go with. But in, in this is a law right now, which uh, with the new makeup of this court, uh, it, it literally for the first time in 50 years could literally overturn Roe versus Wade. Like it's, yes. So, yeah, these legislatures are not doing this on accident. By the way, um, two times in history, biblically speaking, uh, in the Bible narrative— um, where children, young children, were murdered. Uh, Exodus mm-hmm. and, and Herod. Yeah. And both times were immediately followed by the coming of a deliverer. Yeah. And, you know, it just makes me wonder with what we've seen in our world right now with the amount of children being killed around the world, mm. uh, or is this in preparation for our deliverer? Coming Praise Jesus I could hope be so. right. Yes, you know. And in the meantime, as a church, uh, we have the opportunity to love a whole bunch of children that are going to be born that would have never been born before. We have a whole bunch of opportunity to love some moms and and support them in ways that uh, th- that would have never been before. And instead of this whole idea of a, of a single mom gets shamed and she can't be around here now, you know, I, I've said this to a, a mom in our in our own church family who's uh, who's became pregnant as a surprise and, you know, was not necessarily the plan she had. But there, there is no such thing as an accident when it comes to a baby. There are surprises, but there's never an accident because that little baby was known in its mother's womb before it was born. So for us as a church to love young women, encourage them in sexual integrity, and, and encourage young men in sexual integrity, and be there for them for when they fall and for the children, especially if these laws are overturned. It will be a glorious time in our country, and it will be a double down in a way that we haven't seen uh, before in history. And by the way, I think churches are ready for this. There are mega churches, small churches, halfway in between churches all over America ready to go, ready to adopt, ready to bring in children. Yes. So uh, so that part, I'm, I'm, I'm actually excited about that part. Vibrant discussion and a lot to, lot to chew on, and especially if you're paying attention to the news. And then obviously um, Dana gave us some insight into what her ministry is uh, all involves, and she shared kind of what's happening in the Dominican Republic as well and their ministry there. And just a lot, a lot for us to, uh, to chew on. You know, she didn't bring this up, by the way, on Sunday. Um, first of all, I was actually really – I didn't realize that they were watching us all through the pandemic. Yeah, she absolutely. said some stuff that I had, not, I had not heard her say before. But the thing that she didn't – and I guess I can understand why she didn't say it on, on Sunday just for time. But one of the main things that took us there to Harabakoa, it's one of the nicest parts of uh, – Dominican, which I was actually, when I first got there, thinking, well, if this is what mission trips are, I could get used to this. You know, this is a nice part. But here's what I didn't realize at that point. This has been years ago. The nicer the place is on an island like the Dominican, the more sex trafficking is happening on minors because wealthy people are there and they can pay for the, uh, the, the, the Jeffrey Epsteins of the world get away with it there. And so when she talked about that the teen pregnancy rate was higher than any place else, what she was really saying was that that is because there are wealthy businessmen buying these children from their parents and leaving them with with children. But what was interesting was that the time we were there, the reason we were there was 
the United States government funds uh, allows funding for countries like Dominican to uh, to uh, fight sex trafficking. Um, And during the Obama administration, the ambassadors, the policies, in fact, the ambassador to the Dominican was openly gay, was married to a man, and he was part of delivering the news to the Dominican that unless you change your definition of marriage in Dominican, we will withhold funding to help you fight the sex trafficking. Wow. True, 100% true story. Held him hostage. And credit to the Dominican. They were like, keep your 30 pieces of silver, Jack, because we'll, we'll do this on our own. And the churches rose up and are wow. rising up. And so what, what was happening there, those church leaders, dozens and dozens and dozens of church leaders from all over were there that week to work together in strategy and planning to save young women out of sex trafficking, to help them with their young children, and to be what the government couldn't be because the United States government damnably withheld funding to protect it just because they wouldn't define using it as a political wedge for them. Wow. Yeah, no, I I was not aware of that. And um, thankfully, we've been able to partner with them on some of this stuff to help move the needle a little bit on what's happening there. In a couple of weeks, it's Easter Sunday, and we get to celebrate death, uh, destroyed, um, sin, defeated uh, with Easter Sunday services, uh, four services, and we would love to invite you to, to join us for that Sunday. It's going to be a party here at Conduit in Franklin, Tennessee. Yeah. And uh, if, if you want need more information about those services, go to our website, RSVP, let us know which service you're coming to. Um, and then the next two weeks, so this Sunday is Palm Sunday, and then the following week is Easter, and we'll be wrapping up Romans uh, with chapters 15 and chapter 16 as uh, we, we, we finish this What's True About You series, as we've kind of dabbled in and out through this idea of, of um, what humanity looks like left to its own devices. <laughs> and uh, the discussion today, you can see kind of what uh, a bit of a glimpse of what that can look like and what that is looking like in our lives um, in the hope that comes from saving grace that Paul speaks of. ConduitChurch.com. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>